Welcome once again to another episode of The Wall Behind and Beyond. I am your host, Philip A. Jones. Today we have a brother on the show who is the son and nephew of the legendary revolutionary icons, Jonathan and George Jackson. Two brothers who were slain as they stood to the very last for the people and resisted unbridled oppression and racism. The brother was born right after these tragic events. And now 51 years later, even as we continue to witness systemic racism, inequality and fascism, this brother in his own words chooses to capture in his work as an artist, his sensations, his thoughts, his life and manifested intensities as he communicates profoundly to the unconscious, he unlocks the valves of intuition and perception about the human situation at a deeper level. The brother's faith and devotion are in the transformative power of art. His paintings reflect what he has seen throughout his travels in his overall life's journey. Please welcome our brother, Jonathan Peter Jackson, to the show. How are you today, brother? I'm well, thank you. And, and thank you for that uh, gracious introduction. How are you, Philip? I'm doing good, man. We've been trying to get you on. You know, you got a story unlike any other. And a lot of times, a lot of people in this generation are not current and they don't understand the history behind it. So we wanted to just ask you a few questions and hopefully, you know, bring some enlightenment to our listeners and some of the people who still probably don't have enough insight on what's going on or the history behind it. I'll just get straight to it. My first question for you, can you give our listeners some background about yourself and a little bit about who you are? Um, yeah, sure. The, this this is probably the hardest question for anybody, right? Um, how to how to sum, sum yourself up within certain parameters in, in a few minutes. But um, I think you you eloquently uh, started uh, the description in terms of my my family relations. Uh, I am indeed Jonathan's son and George's nephew, um, as well as uh, Francis and and Penny and Dolores's uh, nephew. You know, I started my life out and lived a, a pretty. Um, uh, nomadic uh, life um, up until the point I was a, a teenager and we moved back to California. I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, get into uh, a state university and uh, studied there for a while, used that opportunity to do some writing, um, during which time I, I uh, reissued Solidad Brother, which we'll be able to speak about a little bit more. And after that, um, I, you know, for various reasons, but mostly uh, because I, I just didn't feel like I was getting through to the left um, on the West Coast, I decided to go to graduate school on the East Coast and I've been out here ever since. Um, I spent 10 years in graduate school, did my time, so to speak, and I've uh, been working as an artist and a writer uh, since then. Oh, man. Speaking of writing, you wrote a phenomenal forward, you know, in your uncle's book. And when you reissued it, that alone made me wonder, you know, how can anybody in this day and age who call themselves publishers or what so have you uh, not want to put more of that powerful uh, uh, way that you can express yourself through your wording into book form for the people to get more of that. But that's, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a few. Uh, I just had to make that comment when you spoke about that. Thank you. Um, so how has it been being the son and nephew of two of the greatest icons of the 60s revolutionary movement? <laughs> Uh, great question. Um, the, you know, I, I think I feel about it now just like I felt when I was 23 when I wrote the forward. It's, it's, it's both great and terrible <laughs> at the same time. And I think anybody who, 
is the offspring of a uh, iconic figures would probably agree with me in their in their honest moments. Um, you know, in one sense, you have a foundation that you can build off of. Um, you have an example which you can follow. Um, but at the same time, that example is, of course, absent um, because they they uh, were not around uh, by the time um, I started growing up. Um, you know, and of course, in full disclosure, I have to say that the 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 legacy part of it is difficult, and you struggle with that, both as a as a as a person emotionally trying to understand the feelings about movements and, and progress and people's expectations and um also you know in what you're trying to do with your life and and how you also want to make significant contributions but a lot of times people want to put you into um certain categories boxes or however you want to describe it and if you want to be a fully realized person you don't want to live in that box and people's constantly forget that George was killed when he was 29 years old. If he had lived longer, he would have become a different person. My father was killed when he was 17 years old and also certainly would have become um, a, a different multifaceted person. So we struggle with these things as we get older, but I think all of us do to a certain degree live in the shadow of our, uh, of our parents. No doubt. And I feel you 100% because I was a youth, you know, 19 years old uh, when I came to prison. And um, I definitely ain't the same person that I was when I came in, you know. Mm -hmm. Knowledge changes us, you know. Experiences change us. Uh, but I just wanted to say that desperate times call for desperate measures. When you don't know what else to do uh, to free yourself from certain jokes, uh, when you feel that there's no other answer, um, you just, you have to respond, you know, and I believe that sometimes even though the, these outcomes may not be good in the end for anybody, you just feel helpless in your situation and you say, I got to do something, man, you know, so I'm not saying, I don't ever say uh, what's definitive, right, wrong, or any of that because for every person is going to be different, but I do understand what you're saying, we evolve over time. The, yeah, the call to action, I mean, listen, and when it's time to act, right or wrong, you have to act. There's Otherwise, you know, we're engaged in, in common liberalism, and we, we all know that we have to fight against that. Um, <laughs> certainly, um, I would never argue against taking action, and we can, at some points in time, we can worry about consequences later. If anything, I think my dad's uh, story is a, is a prime example of that. Um, again, we can get into that at, at a later point, but um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What has been the expectation of you from the generation that follows your father and uncle's freedom fighter legacy? Yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's been a frustrating time for me in terms of dealing with not only George's and Jonathan's contemporaries, um, but uh, even the half generation after that, you know, I, I always felt like it was my duty to continue to study, become smarter, become a deeper thinker, bring that knowledge and understanding back to as many people as I possibly can. I have not been able to do that as well as I would have liked to. That's part of the reason why I left the West Coast. It's part of the reason why I still kind of, you know, 
don't really communicate as much as I probably should, especially with people on the left big L, um, because I feel like um, a lot of the lessons that could have been learned through earnest study have kind of just been um, ignored by the left and, and people haven't wanted to deal with the hard truths of what we learned after the late sixties, early seventies, they, you know, the fight against oppression, racism, and all of the, the structures of um, imperialism are of course, to me, that's a given. I don't even know if we need to continually uh, verbalize that as much as we also need to take a look at ourselves and what happened during the late sixties, early seventies. Otherwise we're, we're we're, we're destined to continue to make the same mistakes that we made back then. And I, unfortunately, at this point, it seems like we, we are making a few of those. A lot of people, as you were speaking, a lot of people might not understand intellectually. Um, you're an educated individual. It's not just uh, feelings and emotions. This is something that you study and you've been to school and you, uh, you have a deeper understanding. Uh, when you talk about the term liberalism and you talk about this political... I don't consider myself to be a Democrat or a Republican, first of all. I just want to say that. Because I'm so disappointed. Uh, especially after Obama was in office and nothing got done in eight years. Um, I'm not to criticize the individual, but this the situation that they were in, where they were unable to do certain things that I felt should have been done, not just for uh, black people, but people in general who were suffering, the marginalized. Secondly, because they seem to be so peaceful in their suffering and they seem to uh not ever be on the offense like they're defensive in their in their ideology to me and so we keep falling behind the eight ball so to speak uh i don't take this to that that political conversation but it's just obvious for anybody who can see indeed and i you know i think even though my expectations were low, I was still disappointed. I was, I was disappointed that he continued, you know, his bombing campaigns across the world. I was disappointed that he didn't close Guantanamo Bay. I was disappointed in, in many, many things that, that he was unwilling to do because, of course, he was able to get those done. But he uh, is a mainstream politician, as, as about as mainstream as you can get. Uh, you mentioned that there's a reason why Black August is not being widely taught. Can you explain to our listeners why this is? Mm. Also, what does Black August mean to you? Well, Philip, I'll take the second part first. <laughs> um, Black August means to me, you know, obviously we, we most of us know how it began, which was the commemoration of, of George um, and his contribution to Black radicalism in this country and beyond. But what it means, I think what it has evolved into, especially in the past few years, three, four years, is is a acknowledgement, a celebration, and a time to concentrate on the more radical side of Black politics and people who have practiced them and continue to practice them in North America. You know, my experience out there in the in the world of social media this year is that more and more and more people are participating and it is becoming a real thing. So could let, let's talk about what was the first part again you wanted to you wanted me to comment on something about Yes, why Black August is not ah, being widely taught. Right. Well, the the, the you know 
the reasons for that, I think, are the seeds of, of how it began. We have a, you know, somebody asked me the other day, there's why, why, why doesn't Black History Month just transfer to August? And I mean, I think the reasons for that are, are very obvious. You can't, you can't see any sort of mainstream corporate news um, outlet talking significantly about, um, you know, radical voice, um, socialist, communists at all, the same way that people want to celebrate um, Black History Month, which is still valuable. But most of most Black History Month, really, we're, what we're looking at is a Black people's contribution to the American project at large. Um, so when it comes to a radical reshaping of that project, I think that there's automatically going to be a self-censorship, um, which is one of the main themes of what I was talking about in the forward of Celebrate Brother, which is, you know, it's going to be, it's predestined to be censored before it even, before we can even get the message out. And, and there are systemic and institutional reasons for that, that, cannot be overcome through resistance alone. We There's a, a component of progress that has to be achieved through a uh, subversion. Um, these, the ideological question has to be achieved through more indirect methods. So that, you know, the reason is is because it's a radical um it, it's a it's a radical event. It's a radical month and and a lot of things that scare the hell out of dominant um, culture are being celebrated. And I'm not even at this point, let's talk about, you know, Nat Turner's rebellion and the Haitian revolution. I mean, those two things, those two events still loom large, whether people know it or not. <laughs> those two events uh, loom large over um, American consciousness. Well, that thought, we'll pick it up on the other side. Y'all know there's 60 seconds left, so I want to come back and let the brother continue his answer. Be back in a second. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and sharing my podcast. Here are three ways to help me today. Consider donating, if you can, to my GoFundMe for my freedom efforts. You can find that by typing in Incarcerated Lives Matter, Philip Alvin Jones on GoFundMe. Subscribe today to my YouTube channel. The wall behind and beyond. Comment and share. We are on our journey to a thousand subscribers. We can do this. Visit GrantParoleToPhilip.com. It's a one-stop shop that has my direct contact info and awesome social media sites. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to help in any way with Team Philip. Thank you and keep listening to the wall behind and beyond. Who's calling, son? Hello. Okay, brother. Um, did you want to finish your answer, or were you done? Um, no, I, I, I'm not. I'm not necessarily done, but I think we have perhaps other topics to to delve into. So let's keep it moving. We'll we'll circle back if anything pops up. Okay, for sure. I just wanted to say sometimes sensationalism is what helps people to remember. So when we talk about Black History, for instance, um, they've given us a narrative of who we can celebrate. And so for me. You know, Black August is important for the simple fact that we have people that come from our legacy and our history of our, you know, who stood up against resistance or resisted or stood up against oppression. And so you you mentioned uh, Matt Turner, you know, the, the uh, Tucson and the revolution uh, uh, yeah. and uh, so forth. It happened many times. We're not glorifying any violence. What we're glorifying is the fact that people did not just take it or stand there and accept 
um, less than what their humanity called for. And so I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, and I don't I don't think we need to shy away from glorifying violence. I think, you know, what we need to actually do more of is is clarify the violence that isn't so obvious. <laughs> Nat, the violence of Nat Turner's rebellion um is a is a is a uh, drop in an ocean compared to the 300 years of violence that had been perpetrated up until that point. So we don't need to, you know, we don't need to shy away from glorifying violence if, if it's justified. Um, and, uh, you know, in almost every instance, particularly in the case of black Americans, it is justified. And then some, in fact, that, that is, isn't, is that not the dominant fear of, of, uh, of reparations, et cetera, on down the line is that we will demand in kind what was, you know, and, and do to them what was done to us. So, uh, you know, <laughs> we need to we need to make it plain and not shy away from from those events um, and how they happened. No doubt, brother, stand up for what is true. My next question for you is: When I read your foreword in Solidarity Brothers, the prison letters of George Jackson, I was instantly struck by how powerful your expressions were, the passion in your words. What was behind the comments made by Colin Kaepernick's publishing company to you regarding your writing? Yeah, this is it's interesting. And, you know, I'll, I'll keep it somewhat brief because, you know, we have to realize that everybody has their own situations and their own context. First of all, I wrote that for when I was 23. So I'm just proud that it still stands up. I'm 51 now. So I'm glad that um you know those words still ring true and and I'm I'm glad that we were able to get that project done. Project that I'm trying to work on now mostly by popular demand is a family history of sorts and we are you know really trying to find a good editor at a good publishing house one that actually has distribution and some wherewithal in order so that we can get the research done that we need to do and talk to the people that we need to talk to. And we have unfortunately run into some very disturbing stonewalls from people at publishing houses that are black and that are supposedly progressive. Colin Kaepernick is one, Roxanne Gay is another. All they want, all they want to talk about is commercial potential. Um, we, you know, the Jackson story is not going to be popular enough and on and on and on. We know that that's bullshit. We know that that's not true. And we know that the reason that they're probably saying no is, is that, the, or they're at least expressing hesitance is because they're scared of, of the real radical side of things, which is unfortunate because we do need to have these voices enter into the popular discourse. Um, and we need to ask ourselves why an autobiography of a Malcolm X is allowed into the popular discourse, but the story of George and Jonathan isn't. So, Listen, I'm not up here telling everyone, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick is is a bum, but I am saying we have to be very careful about radical people who are coming off and making a lot of money as progressives and radicals and then when the time comes due to actually help other radicals make their voices heard all they talk about is in the language of you know capitalism commercial potential 
there's no passion, there's no understanding, there's no sense of history. You know, without my dad taking over that courthouse in 1970, Colin Kaepernick never even gets a chance to take a knee. No doubt. That's powerful. Uh, and you said it better than anybody else could have said it. No need for me to even make any more comments on that. So I'll just move to the next question, like how you put it. You mentioned also that much of the movement died with your Uncle George, but that he cannot and will not ever leave. Are you aware that an entire movement exists inside a prison founded upon the thoughts, ideas, and revolutionary philosophies of your Uncle George? Those who are conscious have tried to emulate him and become who he was because he was a true vanguard for the oppressed. He showed us how to resist and how to face systemic racism with both strength and intelligence, even though he was so young and that was so long ago. I'm very aware of that, and I was aware of that at the time. I think, and I, I think that the most significant thing, the most significant, you know, legacy of George is is sort of giving voice to people um, who are incarcerated. And you know, listen, there's not a single Black American in this country that doesn't have a brother, a sister, a father, a mother a cousin, a niece, or a nephew, or a dear friend uh, behind bars. I just don't think there is. There may be a few, but so we are all affected by, by this. We know that, that incarceration is a, is a legacy of slavery. Uh, we know the systemic reasons behind it. And I do think that George's voice um, serves as a, as a powerful um, an ongoing organizing principle for people um, behind uh, the wall. But what I was talking about was the outside organizations such as the Panthers, etc., um, other leftist groups that um, during that time had been not only infiltrated, but also um, sort of co-opted um, and, and also self-sabotaged out of existence. And, and the, the, my father's um, episode and then uh, some conflicts within the party, everything just unraveled after that. I'll get more, I'll get more into that, hopefully, as I write the, the memoir. Um, it, you know, it's all a part of us on the left trying to confront our uncomfortable truths. Um, and teaching people that it doesn't have to be either this or that. We don't have to pe put, you know, just because we put somebody on a pedestal, we don't have to say, well, here's the problems with what they did and how they did it, right? In particular, some, you know, somebody like Huey, like, you know, there, a lot of young leftists now, you know, they won't hear criticism. <laughs> and of Huey or, or people in the Panthers and, and that. So that was that's what I was talking about. But this is precisely why we need the full story. And so we can't wait uh, for you to come out with your work uh, because people only know bits and pieces. And so they pick and choose what parts they want to accept and what parts they like and don't like. I put full transparency and let everybody hear everything uh, about it. Good, bad, ugly. You know what I'm saying? That's history. Listen, and, and the reason you do that is because the, the right-wingers and the capitalists, they do it. That's how, you know, like it, we, we, we're strange on the left, right? It's, it's, it's almost that, that we, you know, we don't want to confront our uh, mistakes and issues because so many people come to the left because they're trying to sort of have something to anchor onto. Once we come to that place where we're anchored onto something, 
we don't want to approach the sight of the truth because we're scared that the truth might be so unbearable that we can't live with it. Well, that's 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 not the case. You, when you confront the truth, if you understand Hegel, you, when you confront the truth, you come out with an even more interesting, complex, and progressive truth. We cannot afford to just, um, you know, have our heads in the sand about, you know, our leaders and our iconic figures. Sure. And I agree with you 100% because we see right now today, like, they tried to call uh, the people who convened on Capitol Hill who was trying to tear the whole place down, they tried to call them visitors to the Capitol. So they will never, they don't do no whole lot of apologizing. They just basically say, you guys are crazy. They didn't do nothing wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and that's that. They don't care about who, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's a big difference on, on one side or the other. And I don't think sitting there being scared of the truth is righteous. It certainly isn't. And, and, you know, you're right. The, the, the right wingers, um, as, particularly as, you know, fascism has developed in, in, in the 21st century. Um, truth is, truth is, is not at a premium anymore. Um, and although, you know, we have to hold our ethics, um, and our morals, otherwise, you know, we're, we're, we're no better than they are. We still need to, you know, be not so afraid to to move forward and and face facts. Um, and there are a lot of things, you know, bringing it back. There are a lot of things about that period of time that we need to get into because, you know, just short shrifting it and saying, well, you know, COINTELPRO and the government infiltrated the Panthers and and tore everything apart. Man, that, that's not that's not the whole truth, though, bro. And I can tell you that because I know these motherfuckers, man. <laughs> I grew up with him. I stayed in the place in LA where Huey was living. Like, I, listen, I know what the fuck they were doing. And I'm not here to write a tell all. I'm not, that's not what I'm about. But, you know, you can get tied up in these, in these big abstractions and, and they sound great. And they, you know, you know, you know, the government infiltrated the Panthers and ended the Black Panthers. That, that's easy to believe. But man, listen, we, that might be good for for the for the for the news line for the but I'll tell you we we have to we have to come to a little deeper understanding than that otherwise you know the the group the same thing's going to happen in in twenty twenties. So hey man, I already know. I want you to basically tell it like it is, man, because I know exactly what you were saying. It's bigger than that, and it wasn't just that. It was some other things and choices that people made that caused the destruction and the downfall. So I got you one hundred. What do you want listeners to know about you or your family that hasn't been expressed enough? Hmm. Well, you know, mostly I think that, that we are a family, that we we come from from a long line of uh, hardworking, uh, interesting, proud people. We're from Louisiana. I'll be writing about this as well. You know, we got a big, our first family reunions coming up in, over Thanksgiving. You know, we're, we're right around from the same people that Rochelle uh, McGee is from and you know it's a very american story and i mean that in all of its complexities and its difficulties and its problems and its glory and so i know that my grandparents um <laughs> i was talking about it with my cousin just the other day we were like well how did they get through august and we <laughs> and, and my cousin was like well i was the one who took out the trash and so most of the time we got through it by drinking <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean so i think that 
a healthy dose of understanding along those lines would be is great you know people need to understand that like for all the strength you know and that that goes along the line with the whole you know the myth of of the the strong black woman right like listen we all participate in that myth and we all uh, abide by it but at the same time people are people you know nobody <laughs> there are limits to people's strength and endurance and i know philip you deal with this every day right you're strong you have to, cause you have to be, but you know, uh, there's, there's limits to that and it's okay to talk about those things. We need to, we need to get into that as, as people, cause being on the left, I always tell people, you know, use your sense of humor. If you're trying to be a lifetime leftist, you better be funny because this is, this is a hard life. This is not, this is not an easy go. So, you know, be human, talk about what's going on with you mentally, emotionally, you know, love your family if you can and, and try to try to express, you know, humor and love as much as possible. But, you know, that's the main thing is I would say to is, is just for people to realize that, you know, we're still a, a living, breathing family. We still have our problems. We still <laughs> we still have people behind bars ourselves. And some of us are recovering from having been in penitentiary, et cetera, in the system. And and uh, time didn't stop for us in, in 1971. Well, that's powerful, brother. Everything you said, me and you are the same age, actually. And uh, so I, I, I came up the same time you did. And I wanted to say there was something pointing that you just said. If I was to sit here and act strong every day and this don't bother me and, you know, I'm a soldier and nothing, I would be sitting here lying and I would be sitting here putting on a facade. You can't do 32 years in prison and tell me that you are okay, first of all. Mm -hmm. Second of all, mental health is real. And the only way to take care of that is to address it. Uh, and so I'm a big uh, champion of that. And I like to say prison is uh, collateral damage, uh, not just for families, but for the human toll. Men and women start to experience all kinds of uh, traumas, ill effects, anxiety, depression, uh, based on doing so much time. Um, no human should have to do. Right on. I, uh, I understand that you're an artist. Can you tell us what inspires your work? Well, you know, after I decided that I wasn't going to be a professor, um, I had to figure out a way to express myself and communicate with people. And so I started basically hanging out with all of the black artists in Baltimore and, and, uh, started working and caught a few breaks and, and away we went. And I think a lot of it boils down to that. It's just, it's just plain and simple communication. I think, you know, also as I realized through the years that, that I was going to have difficulty really significantly making a contribution to the left, at least back then. Um, I decided that, you know, artistic expression <laughs> might be a way that I could still communicate things to people, but maybe more in a slightly more indirect way. And then that, you know, once you discover a talent and a passion for something, you just, you just kind of roll with that. I'm sure that you know plenty of artists inside and, and they would probably say, uh, something very similar. It's, it's, it, it it's both healing and also a, a way to communicate with people and express, uh, what you want to express. We have 30 seconds remaining. We'll pick up on the other side momentarily. Thank you all for listening subscribing and sharing my podcast here are three ways to help me today consider donating if you can 
to my GoFundMe for my freedom efforts. You can find that by typing in Incarcerated Lives Matter, Philip Alvin Jones on GoFundMe. Subscribe today to my YouTube channel, The Wall Behind and Beyond. Comment and share. We are on our journey to a thousand subscribers. We can do this. Visit GrantParoleToPhilip.com. It's a one-stop shop that has my direct contact info and all some social media sites. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to help in any way with Team Philip. Thank you and keep listening to The Wall Behind and Beyond. You shouted out Charm City, man. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you, uh, I'm Baltimore born and bred. You know what? what? People can, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I had to put that out there when you said something about Baltimore to let my people know. Yeah, he, he, he shout y'all out, man, and uh, keep on to stay up out there. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We love Baltimore. We lived there for almost a decade. My mom lived there up until about two months ago. Baltimore is a great, great city with a lot of potential. Um, and it's just, it's, I think it's one of the great cities of the United States. Love it. Thank you, thank you, man. It was a bad rap, but it's, it's full of history. And it's, and it's full of people, man, that endured countless oppressive uh, situations, but we're still here. Yeah, if, and if you're into history, learn a lot about Baltimore and and uh, Frederick Douglass and and uh, it was all part of the Underground Railroad system. And in fact, it was one of the largest slave trading ports in, in on the East Coast, uh, which means in the world, um, other than uh, New Orleans. And it, it's a, it's a fascinating place. And I mean, East Baltimore, there's nothing like it. I gotta tell you, <laughs> it's really it's I really like really it. something. Uh, so. My brother, where are you currently working on? Well, you know, great question. So, you know, I had a sh- I had a show which is still up at my website, which is just my name, JonathanPeterJackson.com. And, you know, a lot of times after a big show, you just want to, you know, lay low for a little while. So, you know, I've been poking around. I'm doing a big, I'm doing a part of this piece. Uh, Philip, you can't see me, but on the camera, you can see there's a, a large piece on my easel right now of, of uh, from Havana when me and my daughter, uh, my eldest daughter, who's Jonathan's granddaughter, by the way, first granddaughter. Uh, we went to Cuba. Um, yeah, thank you. We went to Cuba um, before the pandemic and I was able to take some nice impressions. So I'm still kind of just working on that, but I'm not that intensely working on my artistic project right now. Um, what I'm, what I'm trying with a big push right now is to try to get this family memoir going. I mean, it's already going. So I hesitate to say going, but, um, you know, I'm trying to get that contract in place for that because um you know i've learned in the past that without a contract on some projects it's best not to not to go too far into a project so the main thing right now is that we're looking for an editor at a publishing house that is brave that's the that's the difficulty and has a little bit of a vision towards what's possible here so that's that's where most of my creative energies are going right now um there's a lot of research that i'm involved in and etc and it just it takes time no doubt it's gonna happen because we're gonna manifest that because we all want to we want to read that we want to know that story in full what would you like the listeners to take away most from this interview? Well, the conversation in and of itself is fascinating, I think, between just you and I and the for- first of all the, the the format that we're that we're talking through, you know, the fact that we're the same age and from the same culture, spent time in the same cities, and yet here we are 
separated by multiple levels um, of both technology and physical infrastructure. So I'd ask people to think about that first and foremost. That's a really good takeaway in, you know, why are we not speaking face to face? (laughs) And I think that could take people a while just to really contemplate on that. Other than that, you know, let's just, you know, spread the word about the the righteous voices that, that we're talking about here. George and Jonathan Jackson, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, today's Fred Hampton's birthday. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. And there's even more parallels too, brother. Uh, I came, I was born and raised in Baltimore. That's where I spent most of my life. That's where I was incarcerated first uh, on this census. Uh, but I've been back and forth from California to Baltimore all my life because mm. my mother's side is from California. I moved like you did. I moved a lot of times when I was a kid. I was a new kid in school so many times. And we, we would always get moved uh, because of my living situation. And so I was never uh, in one place too long. Um, mm. it's, it's crazy. Uh, we got a lot of parallels. This is the life people coming up in certain areas, you know? Yeah, you know, it, it's very difficult when you don't have a stable base. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still working through that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, you know, for the first time in my life, I'm actually, I have a therapist that I was able to, to find, uh, through insurance and, and I'm, I'm able to talk a little bit about, you know, the difficulties of, I mean, I, my my case was extreme. Of course, I I think uh, you know I moved more than seventy times before I turned fifteen. But you know, not uh, you know coming into the understanding that you know my mother and I were fugitives, and that you know when I was born, it was a very um, you know, and, and then of course you know Jimmy Carr was was killed in our driveway, and you know my mom was was ducking the FBI uh, and 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 those types of, of things you know those those things affect you they affect you uh, for a lifetime as you know and you you know you you wrestle with those issues uh, your entire life in in one form or another so yeah you know i i feel you and i you know when we we had to leave california i was when i was young and moved all over including europe and north africa and i was really glad to get back to california when when i when i went to high school but you know california isn't always what it's cracked up to be i mean i went to high school in east san diego and that's not where the beach is (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know i was in long beach and then i was in la and compton like I say, uh, I'm from both coasts, actually, because that's where my mother was born, Monterey. Uh, we know. I'm an East Coaster first, though, man, because that's where the rich history is at, the legacy is at, man, and where we really migrated from first. So my heart has always been home. How can people find your art or get a hold of you for future conversations? Well, you know, website is is just my name, and that's easy to remember because it's the same name as my dad, Jonathan Peter Jackson. So that's easy. Uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, people can find me on there. Um, just search Jonathan Jackson, and I, I think people, you know, you see my picture on there. Um, that's pretty much it in terms of like you know social media and contacts. Mostly, again, because I'm busy just trying to to get this project happening. But yeah, I'm I'm always open to to discourse, and I'm not always online. But definitely, uh, I'm looking really looking forward to next August because, of course, it's been growing every year. This August was bigger than than um, than any of the years before. So um, you know, hey, 
who knows what what's what it's going to look like next year but this is a nice way to sort of for me anyway uh this is a nice way to wrap up this month i've been looking forward to this conversation for a while now so these types of dialogues are are really valuable and i you know i, I you know look i think people people need to to form reading groups I would like to say just a quick word, if I have a minute, about uh, what people are reading and how they're reading. Do I have a minute to do that? Yeah. So one of the problems is happening right now, and I and I would right before we came on, I was looking. You know, there's a list of books that were in George's cell when he was killed, and that that list is is fairly interesting in and of itself. But you know, a lot of the left right now are are reading pretty old books and and sort of directly translating them into 2022. I think we need to address that. I think, you know, when George was talking about Lenin, you got to remember, he was as as far from Lenin as we are now from George. The fact that people now are reading Lenin and saying, yeah, that's what's happening to me right now in 2022 at my local cafe is a little problematic. We need to actually be forming some reading groups and um, with, with people who have been there <laughs> and people who have, uh, you know, sort of been through the ranks of study. Um, and, you know, I think these types of dialogues that you and I are having right now are really crucial to progress and change. So, you know, I think we have to be careful to, with wisdom that we haven't earned. That's from Jung, but it applies, right? So context is very important. You'll see people, you know, you'll see people reading what is to be done by Lenin, but they have no idea that 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 is actually the title of a novel <laughs> that Lenin was influenced by. So let's try to historicize more and let's try to, to read books together rather than read books separately and then come together and with various odd interpretations of those. That's the biggest mistake that I see on social media every day. Sure. I know a lot of stuff uh, people don't even understand. They need a catechism and they just take whatever they, their mind produces from their own perspective and try to apply it. And it's not how it is. We talk about history, but you don't fully understand it. Because a lot of this stuff don't apply today. You can't say, oh, well, that's going on right now. Yeah, some of it, you know what I mean? Some of it's not. We can't identify with a lot of that stuff uh, anymore. And so we definitely have to put it into context. That's why I'm glad we got individuals like yourself who do know all aspects of the story. You know what I mean? So thank you for that, brother. You're welcome. And, you know, it's not people's individual fault capitalism forces that upon us our our late it's not i tell people all the time it's not the people's attention spans it's it are are being shortened that is happening but it's the terms of engagement are being shortened because it's easier to sell products to people the less time they have to engage with it for sure hey man what a powerful discussion i thank you again for your contributions to the cause and for your deep perspectives and keep telling the stories Keep reflecting on that truth. I mean, any time we want you to come through, um, and, I'm, and I look forward, man, to working with you, you know, doing whatever I can to promote anything that you're doing in the works that's coming. You know what I'm saying? So take care, my brother, and stay up out there. Right on, Philip, and thank you for everything you're doing. You've got a powerful voice, and it looks like you got a real good thing happening here. So this is the first time, but let's not make it the last time. Let's get together soon, and I'm available. All I need to know. I'll be there, brother, for sure. Take care, and I'll be in touch. All right, right on. Peace.
Sie mich.